Welcome to Bird Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. Welcome to Bird Camp. We're recording this Saturday, January 23rd, 2021. How's it going, Kevin? Uh, it's going good, except I'm not hunting and won't be for a while. Yeah, but. season's over for uh, upland hunting. Wait. What else we got going on in this great state of Michigan, the Great Lakes State? Uh, about, about all we have for uh, bird hunters is the goose season is open January 23rd. Is that today? That's today, right? That's what I said, yep. yep. But that's only in the lower... Yeah, it's in the southern tier, actually, yep. through February 8th. And that's for both light and dark geese. Yeah. So if, I had, if you like dark meat on your goose, you're good. If you like white meat, you're good, too. So I had, That's uh, not what that means. <laughs> two flocks of geese fly over me, and I was like, do I go and grab my gun? I was standing outside by my barn. Do I go grab my gun? By the time I was like, no, too late. <laughs> too late. <laughs> they too never came over me. They were a ways out. Too late. Yeah, I... Uh, I have, well, through the December area, I, I was hearing shots up near me, and they were obviously goose shots because you'd see the goose come over, yeah, or the geese come over a few minutes later. But I, I personally haven't goose hunted in forever. I went out earlier this season and I shot at a few, but I never downed any. Never? Yeah. Never. Not this season. What did you use? So that uh, Ted Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I need to get something a little bit probably bigger for a goose gun. Well, that's a that's a waterfowler's gun. That yeah, moves. it's a nice gun. Here, here's a funny one. I think you may have. Oh yeah, there's a new season, but we'd have to leave the state. Um, well, well, Oklahoma's warmer in Michigan right now. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe we should talk to the MUCC and they can like you know yeah. give us this season yeah. as well because it's the season I personally been waiting for because I got a personal axe to grind with this idiot. But yeah. <laughs> Oklahoma is going to start a Bigfoot season. A it's just Bigfoot. A, is it Sasquatch or Bigfoot? Oh, that's a good... Or is it Yeti? <laughs> Yeti would probably be more in the Himalayas. So what if you're Bigfoot hunting and you get a Yeti? I, I, <laughs> Are you going to jail? <laughs> you going to jail. You have to call the DNR. And so read that. Turn, we turn. found this on online. I, I actually, it was like in the regular news. That I saw it. I was like, what? Wait. I, we got to talk about this. <laughs> oh, this was actually good. <clears throat> My brother made me laugh. Oh, where is it? Come on, man. Oh, it's in the photos, isn't it? That's where it was. Yeah, I sent you a photo. Sorry, I, I'm not the tech guy. I'm not allowed to touch the buttons. Here we go. I won't name the news source. A mythical ape-like creature. Da, da, da. A Republican House member, this is in Oklahoma, has introduced a bill that would create Bigfoot hunting season. Representative Justin Humphrey's district includes the heavily forested Ochita Mountains in southeast Oklahoma, and I do think I pronounced that right. Good job. Uh, been down there working. Where a Bigfoot festival is held each year near the Arkansas border. 
He says issuing a state hunting license today could help boost tourism. Establishing an actual hunting season issuing license for people who want to hunt Bigfoot will just draw more people to our already beautiful part of the state, Humphrey said in a statement. Humphrey says his bill would only allow trapping and that he would hopes to secure 25000 to be offered in a bounty. Oh, so they're get you can trap it. You can't you can't shoot at a Bigfoot. So how do you trap a Bigfoot? Very, very a carefully. Big net? <laughs> you, know, you saw when he and I went last time. You, you got to be careful, man. He's got to reach on him. <laughs> do, you, do you go like rent a T-Rex? Because, I mean, if you got Bigfoot, you might as well get the T-Rex. <laughs> a big pole in the ground in the, like the Indians used to do with yeah. the caribou in northern Canada and run him to the hole. Yeah. <laughs> with sticks in there. How do you trap a Bigfoot? I mean, do, is there a Bigfoot trap? And oh, I bet you, there's a good I, business idea. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I bet you there is a Bigfoot trap out there. Do you bait a Bigfoot? What do you bait a Bigfoot with? Well, it's it, it's <laughs> it's the meat on TV. The uh, oh, the, that's <laughs> right, the Jack Links, Jack Links of beef this, jerky. This podcast is sponsored by Jack Links. No, it's beef not. Jerky. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's what you use because obviously you see it on TV, right? He comes to it. Oh, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. But so if Doctor Tom calls, we're, we're like, hey, we're going to Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> he just called. Are we going to have a dogman season? Should we go to the? Oh yeah, let's uh, let's talk to whoever is in charge of that in the state of Michigan. We need a dogman. Dogman. Yeah. Well, th- then you'd have to go to Luther because that's where dogman's from, right? Yeah, that was one of the sightings. Yeah. Yeah, Luther. Right. There, for for you upland a- hunters, if you haven't been to Luther, Michigan, you're missing out. There is some excellent hunting around there. And a few other weird things. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. There's some very weird things just west of Luther. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've we uh, had some experiences there. And I got to tell you something about Luther off the air. Well, I, I can tell you on the air. You know that big fenced in thing that... Right, yeah. I heard that just sold. Yeah. Anyways. It's sold for marijuana. Oh, is that what they're doing? <laughs> that's what somebody told me they're going to raise... Uh, up where we hunted a lot up up near Luther, there was like a mile area. It was more than that. It a was, couple square miles that was fenced in. We always wondered what it was, and we we saw elk in there. Yeah, you know, so obviously. it was obviously a private game area. And they, yeah, and they had um, feeders, so obviously there was big game in there, and um, actually had an airstrip inside the fence too, and a hangar, and a bunch of things that caught our eye. Uh, it really caught her eye because it was really... Yeah, and there was like no houses around yeah, it, so yeah. at the southern end. But I'm but, sure somebody from Luther's on call and tell us all about it. Yeah, probably tell us we're all wrong. But I heard through the grapevine that that's gone a different way now. So We'll use the 50% rule. How would it be... We're, we're correct how, 50% how, how of the How would time? it be if they didn't take the elk out of there? How do you deal with a stoned elk? That's a lot of M&Ms, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> They, we should open up a uh, a Bigfoot season, but it's only an Isle Royal. Well, that, that'd be a little tough. How about uh, Boys Blank Island? You can take the ferry over. The person calling your phone right now is a Democrat. Jackass. They probably want to raise taxes, so there's a way to pay for this phone call. Make sure you keep all conversation very politically correct, or you might not be invited to their healthcare hippies party. Maybe just let this one go to voicemail so they'll put their head back in the sand. Bad Democrats. Hello. Hello. Hey, Dr. Tom, it's Matt and Kevin from Bird Camp Podcast. How are you today? 
I am doing really well, thank you. Oh, he's going to have to segue you in right here, right behind the great Bigfoot conversation. Yeah, hey, there's a new season in Oklahoma. I don't know if you saw this on the news. <laughs> I saw that. That's amazing. You ready? Let's go trap Bigfoot. Come on. I, I'm, a little, right. I'm a little concerned, Tom, that they do this in Michigan because I resemble that guy a little bit, and I'm afraid that I'm going to become the hunted. <laughs> Well, you're going to have to grow a pretty good beard. Got it. <laughs> I look more like the Yeti, though. I'm all white. Hey, oh. I'm on with us on the phone uh, for uh, this episode's first bird story is Dr. Tom. Dr. Tom is the core of our group and probably our uh, paternal head of our hunting group. And he, he's a Hoosier. We don't hold that much against him. And uh, we uh, want to bring Dr. Tom in. And uh, everything going good for you? It is. It is going well here in the middle of January. Yeah. And you and you guys? Well, except being nine months from hunting, we're doing okay. You know, it's Good. it's a long ways out there. But what what this is, this is kind of a new part. Uh, we did it with uh, our guest, Scott, last week, and we will do it with you. We've even actually, over the life of the podcast that we've been doing, we've asked several people. But all we want is a couple minutes. Just tell us your first grouse story, if you would, please, Dr. Tom. Well, actually, I'm not sure if it was, but I think it was my second season hunting with you, Kevin. And I think, Matt, you were with us part of the time. Uh, but let's frame this up and draw this mind picture for the listeners. So it was a late winter hunt. There was, uh, gosh, Kevin, how much snow was on the ground? Maybe uh, 8, uh, 10, uh, 12 uh, inches? Just about like I have now in northern Kalamazoo County. There, no, there wasn't 18. There was probably three to four inches, in, which is perfect, actually, for rough cows hunting late. And then there was, of course, the snowbanks. And, uh, of course, you walked around the snowbanks if you could. But the other thing about it is I was learning every day. I was learning different things. Uh, uh, Kevin, you were a great teacher. You were pointing some things out. So we were walking down this trail, and of course the snowmobilers had already been down it, uh, and I thought, hey, I'm going to walk out around this pine tree. And uh, you, I think, stayed closer to the trail or on the trail, I'm not sure. So I veer off to the right, and I'm starting to walk out in this snow around this pine tree, and you had told me. Watch that tree. (laughs) Didn't yeah, I? <laughs> you said watch that tree, and and there could be a bird in the bottom of on one of those limbs. And sure enough, as I got around, mostly around that tree, that bird busted out from underneath that tree, and was scooting away from me at an angle. And I don't know if you shot, I shot at the same time, but anyway, that bird, we we killed that bird, and it fell in a snowbank. It did. And the and the beauty, the thing that I'll remember the rest of my life is the shot pattern that went into the snowbank <laughs> as well as the bird. <laughs> well, it, it was a great experience. First of all, we were kind of in an open area and yes. I just knew I'd bumped birds from that tree before and I'm thinking they don't have any other food source but right here. They're got it. 
And when it, it blew, it blew out of the back of that tree and it went into this big open area that we were, we were really just crossing across to get back into the woods. And the funny thing was that he, you shot that bird kind of through the, did you go through the tree or did it go around? I don't remember. Basically, I was where I was standing. My shot actually went through some of the limbs right. and, to get that bird. And I'm still on the trail, and I see the bird, which is coming right to left in front of me, and it goes down. Well, it goes down. You know, is death beautiful in any species? I don't know, but it's it went down. I saw it hit the snow, and my instinct was what a real upland hunter's instinct is. I got a headshot on it. I don't want to get up. Because it was obviously already wounded, and, and I took a spray shot and sprayed the snow around it, and tried to keep, tried to keep it out of the meat because it was only fifteen feet in front of me. And uh, but the funny thing is, the way that bird ended up in that snow after you shot it, Tom, with its wings completely spread out and its feet down in the snow, it was kind of pretty. We'll have to find that picture somewhere. I know we have it, but it was it was a interesting first bird, and you were hooked, weren't you? I was hooked, and, and of course, leading up to this, I had wanted to <clears throat> come to Michigan and hunt rough grouse uh, in the past. You happened to be uh, calling on me one day, and it, it was just a one of those mutual things that happened, and you invited me, and I was hooked. I was hooked on many things but being into the in the woods is just one you know it's god's creation it's just a wonderful place to be uh, but these birds have instincts of survival i don't know if i've heard you say it but they're at the bottom of the food chain everybody's after them yes <laughs> you know i think one of your uh, one of the people you interviewed might have said that yeah but everybody's after them and here we are two-legged predators trying to, you know, get a bird here and there as well. And I'm with you, Kevin. I'll remember that bird landing in that snow, wings spread, feet into the snow, and the shot pattern all around it that peppered that snowbank for as long as I lived. And, that, and, and where, from where's, on, where's that bird at today, Doc? Oh, it's in my man cave. <laughs> yeah, he, he had it mounted in a beautiful mount. And, uh when we were working in the same industry, yeah, we would, I would come into his office or I'd tell all the all of our friends in the industry, that's my bird. I shot it last. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I? I told so everybody. Bird, go, wait, if you're going to bang. see Doc Tom tomorrow, you go in and talk to him. But tell him, I think that's Kevin's bird. They did it over and over to you, didn't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it just hey, is, do, do us a favor. Take a picture of that mountain. Send it to us. And uh, okay. we'll, we'll put it that. up on the social media site. But we, that's it, Doc. We didn't want to interrupt your weekend. Um, but uh, What was your – let me just ask this, Matt. What was your uh, hunting experience? What were you hunting before you got into rough grouse? Were you just deer hunting or – well, a little bit of my uh, background, I bought my first shotgun. So I grew up in north central Indiana on a farm. <clears throat> I bought my first shotgun. It was a 410 pump Western Field, which is, I think, a Montgomery Ward brand, and a box of shells for 50 bucks. The first shot that fall, that, uh, that uh, hunting season, was on quail, and it was a full choke. Huh. But I... I brought down two quail on the first shot. That was guys, it. I've been hooked on birds ever since. I hunted with two really outstanding athletes through high school. Thank you. Thank one, you very much. 
Oh, you were talking <laughs> about us. <laughs> I thought you were talking I about me and my brother. Cool in there, but, um, his his trophies guy, are right over there. I can see him. <laughs> <laughs> one guy hunted with a 16-gauge gun. Oh, like me. Guy, yeah, like you. And it was a really popular gauge. And then the other guy hunted with a 12. But when it came to birds, that 410 and I could get a bird equally as well, if not better, than they did. Still have that 410? You still have the 410. I still got the 410. Oh, send us us a picture of that, too. That'd be awesome to see. I'll I'll do that. I'll do that. So that was a quail in uh, central Indiana? North central Indiana, yes. Are there still a lot of quail in north central Indiana? No. um, The quail seem to have died down, died off, almost died down. But uh, where I'm living now, there's, uh, there's occasional quail. And so it's always good to hear them birds sing. How's your pheasant population down there? Uh, That uh, Earl Butts, uh, when he was ag secretary, of course he was a professor at Purdue before and after, he opened up the foreign markets uh, for farmers, and the fence rows were removed. Oh, no. Bird population <laughs> went right along with the crops to overseas. I mean, it was it was amazing, but it was an educational time. And now we, the Indiana DNR, have helped put in C, CRP ground, um, and so the birds are coming back. Excellent. The birds are actually Excellent. coming back. Yeah, and there's I, pockets of wild birds. I, when I was traveling more, I, I'd see them in Michigan and a little bit, a little bit of pheasant, in northern Indiana. Um, Quite a bit over near Ohio, uh, in that ag area, but well, that's good. Well, Doc, that's what well, we one more one more point sure. I'd like to bring. Um, I love my Ithaca side by side. You guys have seen me use oh, it every yeah. year, and uh, that's what I bagged that bird with. So I'll send you three oh, pictures. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, you did have that Ithaca, didn't you? See, yep. we're actually secretly plotting in the camp who gets that gun. <laughs> And how long? And how long we want to wait? Because <laughs> you know you're that, you're oh. elderly and everything. I call that the oh, cannon. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> but you did call us great athletes, so that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's right. That's right. I'm okay, good. okay, Doc. Right, send send guys, us those yeah, pictures along. Uh, Matt, well, I don't do it. Matt will get them up on, on the yeah. uh, social media because people are going to listen to this and they're going to enjoy seeing the pictures. But have a great weekend. Tell the family we said hi. Okay. I'll do that. You guys take care and enjoy yourself. Thanks, Doc. All Bye-bye. Right, see All right. Goodbye. Just, just to catch the listeners up, that was uh, Dr. Tom. Uh Doc is, as I said in, during the uh, interview, I guess that he, he's a uh, kind of the paternal figure of our our bird camp. And excellent hunter, excellent a, shot. Definitely our best shot out there. I definitely our best shot. I would be on the other end of that spectrum, and um, he's a very kind, as you could hear in his voice, very kind and generous person, and we really appreciate him and. We all look up to him, but uh, we're, we're kind of mixing in some of those first bird stories. And I, I would really like for the Cubby out there, if you want to come in and tell your first grouse story, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Let's move into our next, um, our guest that we're going to have is um, Joe. Joe Schwenke. Joe Schwenke is with the Michigan 
Um, Upland experience. I always want to reverse those letters. Michigan experience, experience Upland. Upland. I want to go mew. You need <laughs> but, to experience the Upland in Michigan. I have. I have. <laughs> I um. I just uh, Joe. Joe's going to come on and talk to us about the Michigan Upland experience, what they're doing, what their mission is, and talk to us about some of the current events of Upland hunting. So here we go. All right. Welcome to Bird Camp. We're here kicking some uh, logs around the campfire, and today. From MUE, we have Joe Schwanke. Joe, welcome in, into the covey, as we call the listeners. Oh, glad to be here, and uh, thank you for speaking. Oh, yeah, no problem. It's a, kind of a beautiful day. Kind of a day, if it was December, we'd probably be out in the field, I would think, walking. That's just... I uh, Definitely. Yeah. How, I was how, actually, how was your hunt this year? Your personal hunt? You, did you have a good time? My, my personal hunting was probably some of the best I've had. Um, oh, good. Uh, ten, I have, well, it's been about seven or eight years because I have a seven-year-old dog here. Um, I've probably had more woodcock success in the last two years than I ever had. Um, grouse, this was probably the second best year I've had. Uh, the year before was was better. And I think the more I learn, the better things are going to get. I'm still kind of getting the grouse thing dialed in. But it, it's, the woodcock, it, I have their number. You have their number? Yeah, I've, the grouse, grouse thing I, I've joked about on the podcast several times that you're going to figure out right on your deathbed. And in my case, look yeah. at my brother and guys go, I got it, dead. <laughs> Just the way it's going to happen. It it's, will. It's a lifetime experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you had a great hunt. Ours was pretty good this year. We were pretty happy with it. Yeah. We had a good time, right, man? Yeah, what kind of dog do you have, Joe? I have a, a seven-year-old short hair pointer. Oh, um, excellent. And I, I learned every training mistake and every way to fix it, and everything in the middle on him. And uh, curled up next to me is my son's Ryman Setter, who is two. Excellent. And this dog is getting the luxury of not having a rookie trainer. Oh, great. And, uh, and he's light years ahead already. So I, we've. I would think that's a. That's what happens with bird dog owners. I think you probably get better and better as you go. Yeah, you learn your mistakes, yeah. not the dog's mistakes. Your yeah. mistakes, like Joe was saying. Yeah. Excellent. I'll, Sounds fun. Yeah. And I was in the field today, since you mentioned it was a nice day. I was out earlier. Um, one of the few events that didn't get canceled was a mentor hunt with the Grand Valley Pheasants Forever chapter that was today over at Pine Hill. Oh, really? And uh, I, got, I got to show five young men a good time and uh, a couple of dads tagged along. And, yeah, we, we did really pretty well. Every kid but one actually was able to down a bird he could claim as his own. Um and this this young man, we're going to get him back out again. But he came close a couple times, and it was just he's really really young. He was eleven, and uh, really took in the whole experience well. That is awesome. I'll have to keep that in mind. I have a seven year old son, so uh, I'll mm -hmm. keep that in mind for a few years from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great thing. We were just talking on the last episode, I believe, of this podcast at Bird Camp that there we don't see a lot. We were talking about with Scott that we yeah. don't see a lot of young hunters anymore, and it seems yeah. to get fewer and fewer. So any outreach anybody like yourself can do, Joe, to the younger generations, we mm -hmm. want we want the sport to be there for them, right? Absolutely. That uh, that's kind of part of our mission. Yeah, uh, yeah. You say mission. Uh, the Michigan Upland Experience is mm -hmm. what you're representing. What's the mission of the Michigan Upland Experience? And uh, yeah, the the Michigan Upland Experience started out on a whim. It's it's just a Facebook page, really, for uh, exactly what it says. That experience of our Michigan Uplands. And uh, there's there's four of us now that keep an eye on the page and, and post content. And 
I have two sons that are they're they're twins. They're age eleven. Uh, my hunting partner Chris has two daughters that are a little younger yet than them, and we we get our kids out. And sometimes you'll see pictures of us out there. Um, as as all the kids get older, we'll get more of that. We have a, a friend on the east side that no kids at this point. Um, and then we have a, a retired friend in the UP as our fourth guy, Stephen Roddick. And he he does what he can up there, just trying to you know volunteers and and works toward that youth mission. But really, we're there to encourage and to help people. And you'll see pictures of habitat and things explained as far as. You know, you flush a bird, you know, you're going to figure out grouse just before you die. Well, hopefully it's a year before you die. So we can, we're putting together these pieces. And so you may see a post on there with a bush that you know that grouse have been around because you've seen one fly out of it before and you had no idea what it was or why it's important. And so there might be a comment in there about what the species name is, what food or shelter value it has to a grouse and at what point in the year it has its best value. Those are things that we put up there. If we shoot a bird, sometimes we take a picture of it right where the retrieve happened just to give somebody, you know, mid-October, oh, hey, there's a post. Hey, I'm in northern lower Michigan, and okay, that's exactly where I was when that bird was shot. So there's these little windows that you can see into and say, well, that's what I need to be looking for. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it's very yeah, helpful. Cool. Very visual, yeah, too. It is, and it's it's just there to encourage, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't publish huge obvious hints on the page itself but we'll always message back with you know what can we do to get you on a bird near you or maybe hook you up with a mentor we have enough friends that are willing to do it too um that's just kind of been what it is it's it's turned into a way of how can we encourage you and give you a little better chance at success that's awesome yeah so and you have a uh, field fundraisers that you mentioned earlier i believe we do um, just trying to find a way where we could give back is, is how those started. And what it was, was how can I be unique and how can we, you know, fundraise is, is really a major thing. Habitat is not cheap, whether it's a, a pheasant restoration or trying to clear out an acre of ground for grouse habitat, you're talking multiple hundreds of dollars, even when it's an easy job. And, and where do you come up with that kind of cash? Well, you can always ask for money. You can sell tickets for raffles. And we pretty much, between those two organizations, cover that pretty well. And how can we be unique and how can we add the experience back in? And generally, it comes down to, in a way, our philosophy is food. So you, you shoot the grouse, the woodcock, the pheasant, whatever it is you do. That fellowship that happens in a field lunch, like the one that we auction off or at your own home afterwards, is part of that big sell of the experience of what we do as hunters. And it came out of that where how can we get the most out of say donating a Saturday? And it came up with a three course field lunch. We do an appetizer, a main course and a dessert uh, with beer and wine pairings. If you don't drink, we come up with a custom non-alcoholic cocktail of some sort that really fits with the meal. Well, and uh, we travel anywhere in the state. If you can win one, we offer two a year. No more ever. Um, I mean, there, there's a decent amount of work involved. And we we go to you. And, and what has happened the last couple of years when we would have a Facebook auction in August right on our page, and it would go for a weekend. And uh, the last one there went $750. That money we don't touch. 
that money goes directly into a 501c3 charity, whether it, or nonprofit, not charity, um, whether it goes directly into an RGS or a Pheasants Forever chapter, where we can then turn around and put it into a project or to fund a youth day or something. We, we don't, we want some accountability on the money. Absolutely. And so that, that money, yeah, we, we, we actually, we don't want to get accused or blamed. So that money goes in there. We end up with a small grocery allowance. And then uh, we've been very, very fortunate with some friends that have offered to help in any way they can. And so we tagged the one guy and said, we need a drink sponsor. <laughs> you know, gro- grocery bills get expensive when you're talking for <laughs> four guys with beer and wine pairings. And he said, yeah, I can easily pair it. You send me a menu and I'll send you what you're, what you have. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we shrink our grocery budget down that puts more money into our cause and it allows people to, to really, it kind of is nice when you can allow somebody to come in and help. Um, I'm not too proud to accept help. And uh, that's what we've done the last few years have been homemade type type stuff. We do a little pastry kind of. It's not a pasty because it doesn't have rutabaga. I hate rutabaga. Uh, Oh, oh, I grew up on rutabaga. (laughs) Rutabaga and lamb pasty. That's the way to go right there. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we have some different – we do a couple of different appetizers. A lot of the time this is over a fire because we're looking for, again, the experience, and we want – people out there and a good example of it is it's, it's four plates and three courses and we come to you in your location and so we went out one day um some guys were woodcock banding they they won our auction and so we met them in gladwin where they were banding woodcock in the spring and they had a little turnaround on the state land that they had staked out and we set up a couple of tents and started a cook fire well first we went with them banding because why not right oh, yeah. carried up cameras and had a had a ball with that and then come back to a cook fire and we start making these things in Dutch ovens. Cause I'm baking actually, it's not all just pan fried. So we had this pastry, which is a biscuit dough wrapped around in this case, I think it was chucker smoked Gouda, some mushrooms. And then we served it with a dipping sauce and they would have those. And after that we did beef tenderloin on a black stone with a sauteed vegetable and a salad. And then we went into these cream pies I can make for dessert, uh, Southern custard. Oh man, and, uh, you're making us hungry. We haven't eaten dinner. Yet. <laughs> you're you're killing know. us, Joe. <laughs> I had I had a small snack, a small, like two donuts, at the end of our day today with the with the mentor hunt. So, so I, I guess the burning question for our listeners is: When's the next auction? We because uh, this sounds really cool to me because we've never done anything like it in the field, have we? No, no, oh, and sweet. and we we've got several foodies in our group that would really get into oh, yeah. it, but. Yeah, this one we're we're thinking of doing two through the Facebook page. Okay. Um, we we're still under these things where we can't really get together with a banquet. Right. Right. I would love to see one of these items go up to one of our our East Side Pheasant chapters or something. But we we have a dedication to the money needs to be habitat or some form of outreach from hunting, and it has to stay in Michigan. If our money leaves Michigan, it's a no deal. Okay. Um, okay. Mainly because we will admit it, we're Michigan snobs. We love our state. We love what what we can hunt here, and our effort stays here. Um, yeah. We're, now we'll support someone else, and we'll spend raffle ticket money on on the main cause for somewhere else. But our item might actually stay here. So we're probably going to do two Facebook auctions this year. Okay. And time um, time frame on that roughly? Late spring, 
Late spring. Okay. And then, and then the other one is in August. That's been our traditional time to do it. That allows you right. to plan ahead. Um, the cool thing about some of these hunts is you'll be usually out hunting is when this happens. The one with the Woodcock Banders, there were three men there that we served food to. They probably had 150 years of hunting experience. Wow. Just, just incredible time to listen to these guys talk and reminisce. And one had been a mentor to another earlier and things that went that way. And, and really watching stuff like that, that's really been, I think, the biggest thing to take away from our lunch is the ability to to sit down and add something to it. We we kind of joke that it might be the worst hunt of the year, and it'll be your biggest memory for a decade. And that's really the way it goes. You're going to sit down with people you like enough to invite to this because it's limited seating. Right, right. But you'll you'll come away with it going, well, I helped a cause. And I'm here with these people that I obviously value their time and their company enough to be here. And that's kind of the biggest value we sell. It really is that getting together. You know, the food's always great, but really that companionship and that time in the field, really just relaxing in the conversation has been something we observe from it. Um, Seems to be the lasting value of it. Well, the lasting value in our groups is the campfire and the stories. And Absolutely. Part of the reason we came up with this type of podcast is to get the stories out there and help, yeah. help, and like you're doing in a different way, help in any way you can to yeah. bring people yeah. to it. And I did see something on your Facebook page about the Michigan Upland Experience potluck. <laughs> if it wasn't for COVID, that thing would have been huge. Um, <laughs> February first might be over with. <laughs> I know, but the, the trouble now is the bird shortage at the local preserves oh. has also really, really limited it. We're going to stretch. We're going to get the birds we need for that event, and that might be close to the end of the season for that one in particular, too. Okay. Um, but we, we did limit it. It's full. We limited it to 10 people, and it's a true potluck. You have to bring a dish to pass, and then there was the cost involved to get together, and uh, we have the entire place for the whole day. There's not a morning hunt and us later. It's we have time for lunch to sit down and eat. We can go back out in the field afterwards. Um, we are the group on the place for the whole day. And yeah. this really turned, this really turned out good because in the end, the last two spots have been filled by a father-son team. We didn't we don't want to turn away a, a young man or a young lady. And, and we have two of them, one that's 11 and one that's 14. And so we said you'll you'll both be under one ticket the youth shoots and the dad coaches and so they they agreed right away i mean there there's not a whole lot going on right now um for any sort of an event like this so they're coming we have some older guys that we made sure to invite that we knew would add that that other dimension to it we have some experienced hunters we have some newer guys we have guys with dogs a few that don't um and there's going to be a pile of food of course because a lot of us like to eat let me ask you this i i always yeah. try and think of what the listeners would want to ask because you you seem to have a, a a great cause here it's not only conservation but getting the message out to the youth letting mm-hmm. them have experience it's a great thing joe um how about if people want to get involved with you for as a volunteer is there is there a way they they can do that there's always yeah uh, we don't we don't need a volunteer for this one mainly because this one is that that self enclosed community is what we were after with this one. Okay. Um, 
there's always a chance if you if you want to message our page and say if there's ever anyone that needs mentoring, uh, the the community can always use as a whole more mentors. And if you're willing to take a person, not just maybe one time, but if say someone is interested in in grouse hunting, if you can commit to two or three times, and you know doing your best to get them out a couple times and really show them what we're about as as a group of hunting individuals that's really the best thing as a volunteer for us we can do because if say some somebody does message us and say well i just have no idea what i'm doing and i live near bay city great i know a guy within 40 minutes of you that would commit to take you out not just once but to actually show you what habitat is like what bird bird lifespan and life cycle is like so that when you drive on the next year and maybe you don't hunt with him anymore, you have enough of a base knowledge to say, I can say I'm a grouse hunter, and I know kind of where I'm going. That's pretty awesome. Yep. If, if that's the best volunteer I could ask for. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I may never call you up. I may never message you to need you. But if, if we're out there and we say, hey, we know a guy, and there's somebody here who's asking good questions, they want to try it, um, really all of us should be doing this in some capacity when we can. Sure. Um, yeah. We're. What about as, as far as? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Um, if yeah. for our listeners to find you on Facebook, we Kevin and I know how to do it. But can you just explain that, like the name of your Facebook page, so our listeners can easily find it? Sure. It, it is the Michigan Upland Experience. Okay. Cool. Yeah, pretty it, pretty simple. Pretty simple. It pops up usually right away. Um. There's the four of us, and we all kind of have our own little niche within that that page. Mm-hmm. We we answer messages in a hurry. That's the other reason why there's four of us that have access to that that message. Um, okay. We can, we can get answers to people, questions about habitat, things like that. Have you re- um, have you reached any other social media platforms that you want to mention? No, that, no, I. That's not. fine. That's fine. Be- yeah. Well, namely because all but one of us have jobs, and if we all of a sudden had two or three platforms to try to play with. I don't think any of us is going to really get that good review at the end of the year from the boss. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's that job thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my Facebook really gets in the way of me making more money. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's um, that's our thing. As far as volunteers go, um, volunteers or donations, or if anybody that just find you on Facebook and. Should yeah. be pretty explain, self-explanatory from that yep. point on. Yeah, well, we can always we can always go for somebody we've been asking, and amongst ourselves, we've been asking about what we can do for. There's a grocery budget with both of these field lunches. Great. Um, yeah, it is a yeah. tax season, so I'm sure we got some listeners looking for some deductions. Well, we we don't have any we don't have any 501c3 status. That's why the money never touches our hands. We're we're just guys trying to work on it, and we've talked about doing this, but we haven't got it yet. Um, we may be able to work it out if you want a tax receipt uh, to go through one of the RGS chapters we're involved in, or a Pheasants Forever chapter we're involved in, um, to do that as well. Otherwise, if if people want to donate, uh, we, whether we would whether you like to mention the name or if a business would like to sponsor us, unfortunately, we can't give you the receipt for the write off. That, that's okay. Um, as long as they know right. how to get to you, right, Joe? Exactly. I mean, uh, it, I, will, I will accept charity from the bottom of people's heart. That grocery budget runs somewhere around 125 per per event. Okay. Uh, we we do have a man that's providing 
drink coverage for it for it and he's been very generous um but other than that really that's our main expense we take days off you know it it is a kind of a, a work of love because these last couple we've taken extra days off to make it there in time um both people bought them said you're coming to the up oh. okay well <laughs> Chris, is, Chris is in Kalamazoo. I'm in Belden, Grand Rapids area. At least the guy in the UP is like, oh, that's 30 minutes from my house. Like, well, that must be nice. See, see, if, see if, you ever, if we ever win, that's probably what we'll do to you, UP. Right. <laughs> We're the nominee. Yeah. <laughs> Octodog. Right. We, we were able to piggyback the first one off the back of our bird camp, which is in the eastern UP. And so the Saturday that normally gets overran with Buckeyes and everybody else coming up to hunt, we drove over and served lunch instead. And that we were already, of course, in the area. Uh, the following week, however, we just had to make the trip. So I took Thursday off, drove up there, saw, saw a, a breeder up there of short hairs we wanted to meet, hunted for an hour, served lunch the next day. It was, it was great. Um, it, yeah, it's that, an excuse to go hunting again, of course. Oh yeah, that, that's our tromping ground. We were both raised partially fully in the eastern UP, so that's up in our uh, area. Yeah, as as a member of your covey, I I kind of noticed you. Yeah, mention, <laughs> mentioning some places I've been. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we walked some of the foot same footsteps. Hey, oh, I, hey, definitely you have. Let's wind up with a couple of things I've seen on Facebook pages, yours included, at Michigan Upland yeah. Experience. Uh, one of them is the DNR strategic land plan. And uh, have you read through that? I, I have not to be a bad host. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I'm going to save you about an hour of some of the most horrific reading out there. I did read through it. Um, and it's like every strategic plan. It's tough. The nice thing was I saw right at the beginning, the first goal and, and things was they were prioritizing habitat and management. Um, they did put in some interesting figures, which of course off the top of my head, I can't really recall in accuracy. Uh, hunting still produces a pile of tourism revenue. Um, that's highlighted in that plan. And that's of course, then they're going to prioritize doing some more for that. They've, they get down toward the end. One of the things I wasn't so, so keen on a lot of it made good sense from a, a big bureaucracy standpoint that has a bunch of different responsibilities down in towards the, I'm going to get this wrong, three quarters of the way down. There's a spot in there where they start talking about possible uses of what they called utility scale renewable energy on state land. That's your windmills and your solar farms on state land. Mm -hmm. Now, to be a little hypocritical, I have no problem with oil pumpers because I hunt around the edges of oil pumpers because that's that soft edge where I get bird contacts. Right. It also, pipeline roads are great for access. I park on them. And if I can listen for the pumper, I know where my truck is. Yeah. 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 We've now, done that. The only one. <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> right. Right. Now, now, all of a sudden, you put a wind farm on state land. Do I get to hunt around it? Well, another thing is uh, birds and wood uh, wind farms usually don't get along too well. So, no, no, and and I'm I'm not keen so much on on that as as a person. Um, 
especially if there's a farmer out there that's willing to lease up land for a wind farm somewhere else. That's fine. Leave it for pi- leave it yeah. for private land. But yeah. on the state land, that's if you go back to that priority one habitat for the hunting, fishing, and recreation community, you're you're giving us a poison pill when all of a sudden you turn around and do something different with that. Well, uh, a case in point can be you look at the fields in the eastern UP area, uh-huh. areas where all of us know. Um, yep. To a commoner, a non-outdoors person, they're going to look at that as wasted land, overgrown hay fields. Yeah. Now, to a grouse hunter, we see sharp tail coverage. Right? Yep. That's exactly what we see. We look over uh-huh. there and go overgrown hay field, burn the corners, right, Joe? Yep. So, yeah, it's a good point about that. It's a good point of awareness. Um, to seg- segue over to the other one before we run out of time, the pheasant stamp bill. You've had some uh, experience with that. It looks like it went through the Michigan Senate. It not only went through the Senate, it has been signed by the governor and passed. Okay. It is it is in effect and will be available for sale. I believe it is March 31st when our new hunting season takes over. It might be even a little earlier you can buy it. Um, but for next season, you will need on public land in the Lower Peninsula, you will need the pheasant stamp. Okay. It, uh, yeah. It, it is in the law now. It's not what we really... I loved the compromise the house came up with, and I'm not as keen on the the no habitat at all within the stamp. Um, yeah, that, that that was my thing. If if you're going to make this what it is, I first of all I wonder about the precedent with the sharp tail and you know woodcock. How far do we go? You know, with stamps I, and if it's if it's habitat, I'm it, willing. Well, I drop it, four bills at a banquet sometimes. Yeah, if it's habitat. Whoops! If it's habitat, that's one thing, but that's not. It's going to a general fund, as we all know. It, and, it's it's earmarked. It's not. It's not for say an earmark. Yeah. It's yeah. not a general fund either. There is a sub account within the DNR. It goes to. Oh, um, that, that's interesting. That's good to know. It goes. Yeah. It goes into the pheasant sub account, where it will be used for pheasants only. Um, it's not a specific earmark, but as a friend at MUCC pointed out to me. It's written in a way where if they were to take this money and take it anywhere but the pheasants, they get sued. And that's going to be MUCC and somebody else doing the suing probably. Oh, um, but we do have we do have a watchdog then with our, our community group here, the MUCC. Um, that money will go to the birds. All well, all to the birds, of course, but that's it's not going to get stolen and taken somewhere else and replaced. This is one of those things where sportsman money will stay within that sportsman budget of the DNR. That, that's a good clarification. Um, yeah. When I was looking at this two, three weeks ago, it was a little more vague, I think, in fairness. Mm-hmm. And I probably wasn't looking at the best source. But I, I guess yeah. if the money, you know, if it's not going to be earmarked for habitat, as long as it's going to pheasants, that's a great thing. And I, uh, I would have pushed. I, I asked why we couldn't do an earmark directly, and he said, "Well, not having an earmark allows us to spend maybe almost all of it, or more than all of it, without having to worry if you like spending it to the cent is hard." Right. I don't want to round down, but I want to be able to round up and and just make the numbers work enough at that point. So. The way it was explained to me, the lawsuit threat is there. If they take that money to do anything else but put out birds, um, 
somebody will come after them and ask why. I guess my la- my last point, Joe, on this would be yeah. a, kind of a side point. Uh, if they're going to do an actual physical stamp like they used to uh, for mm-hmm. ducks, I certainly hope they're going with a Michigan artist. I would like that. I, I, yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to raise a stink, but it's a Michigan pheasant stamp. It, to me, it should be a Michigan artist. And I'm not fighting for I don't know any artist, but um, right. I, I, just, I, I, hope, I hope they're not just – Using a stock picture, I think that would kind of stink, if you ask me. But yeah, that's one of those things I didn't hear at all about. I don't. There's been no contest or anything like that. So well, well, maybe we'll poke into that. It'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, anything I, else for Joe? Joe, please uh, give your uh, plug to uh, Michigan Upland Experience is, and tell people yeah. how to find you and maybe recap real quick what the mission is for us. Right. We are the Michigan Upland Experience. We're a Facebook page uh, that promotes uh, the Michigan Upland beyond just uh, the shooting of the birds, but the community that we build and the, the time we spend outdoors. And it really is, as we say, the experience. We we enjoy things like multi-generational events where we can put uh, old wisdom and young feet together, um, as well as good food, but really trying to highlight the community and camaraderie that we have here with what we do in Michigan uh, pursuing our upland birds. Excellent. Get, yeah. Excellent. I, I have enjoyed looking at your page since uh, bro- Brother Matt made contact with you, but welcome to the Covey, and we really appreciate having you on, Joe. And anything else, Matt? No, thanks for being here. And, uh, you know, Kevin and I have talked about this, and we're open to uh, mentoring in uh, probably October. You know, if somebody, a young man or woman or a girl, I should say, wants to come up to our bird camp and hunt with a bunch of old guys, we're more than happy to have them. Yeah, every one of them being a great father. Yep. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so maybe we'll hook up with you on that this year, and maybe we can uh, help the Upland Experience out. But thanks yeah. for coming in, Joe. Appreciate it. We'll tag you in all our social media so people know you're out there, which they already do, obviously, and uh, connect you over to Facebook and everything. How's that sound? Excellent. I appreciate it. Thanks for talking. All right. Thanks, all right. Joe. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks. Have a good mm-hmm. one. Thanks for listening to the Bird Camp podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of us and give us some feedback, which we would appreciate, please contact us directly at our Facebook page, or you can also contact us via email. Our email can be found at our webpage. Our webpage is birdcamp.net, www.birdcamp.net. Email is found on there. It is also mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. And for finding us on Facebook, just do a search for Bird Space Camp. On our website at birdcamp.net, we're going to start featuring some of our promotional products. We have Hunter Orange Koozies to keep your favorite drink cool. We're also going to start selling some gun cleaning towels, white cotton towels with our logo, the Bird Camp logo. And then we also have the window sticker. If you like the podcast, we encourage you to put one of those in the back of your SUV or truck. We'd like to thank the Covey for listening to our podcast. If anybody out there would like to advertise on our podcast or knows of somebody in the Covey or a friend of a Covey that would like to advertise, please send us a note, send us some feedback, and uh, we're going to start throwing some advertisers on here to get some of our uh, expenses back for putting out this podcast. Thanks again for listening. 
We'll see you on the next episode. See ya! Thank you.